Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I want to jump right in today and talk with Jason Blessing from Plex. So he's joining us from the San Francisco Bay Area. And Jason, thank you, thank you for joining Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. You bet, Tom. Appreciate you having me today. No problem. So Jason, tell us a little bit about your business and and what Plex does. And then I want to find out a little bit about your journey. You bet. So our company's product is something called Manufacturing ERP, and it's a 100% cloud-based solution. And to help you understand more about what is Manufacturing ERP, let me first tell you at a high level who our customers are. So Over the course of today, if you ride in a car, if you use an appliance uh, in your house, if you take a hot shower, or uh, when when happy hour rolls around at the end of the day, if you drink a green flash beer, you've experienced a product that was made by a Plex customer. So our software helps customers ensure that their products are built in a cost-effective manner and also built to consistent quality and safety standards. And uh, just to give you a sense for scale, uh, our customers together use our platform to build nearly 4 million products per week. That's a lot. Yes. So how did you end up at the top of the uh, driver's seat of Plex? How did you become CEO? I saw when I looked at your bio that you started off in consulting and then you worked for a couple of large companies, like I think it was PeopleSoft and Oracle. How did you get from there to being the CEO of Plex? Well, it's a, a great question. I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of that classic uh, jack-of-all-trades, master of nothing, and uh, was was really fortunate just to have a, a great collection of experiences working with customers, working in sales, consulting, uh, running some large product organizations, working in both on-premise and cloud-based software. And uh, all of that culminated in a, a good generalist background to, uh, to come in and, and run Plex at a very important part of our history. So did you always have sort of that little entrepreneurial gene in you that was going to lead you to a growth-oriented company? Yeah, it, it's funny. I actually, growing up as a kid, uh, ran uh, a, a boat cleaning business. I grew up in a resort town and uh, cleaned boats in the summer and cut grass to, to pay my way through college. So the entrepreneurial bug was, was certainly there from an early age. Um, but after graduating from college, I was fortunate to work for two great entrepreneurs early in my career, uh, Dave Duffield and Anil Bushri, who founded PeopleSoft, and of course have now gone on uh, to found Workday, a, a very hot company uh, today. And I certainly learned a lot from these guys early in my career about the importance of focus on customer success and also having a strong corporate culture that's focused on employee success. I think if, if you, at the end of the day you, you focus on those simple things, it, it helps cut a lot of the, you know, frankly, the BS that can manifest itself in a corporate uh, environment. So I had great experience um, as one of the early employees at PeopleSoft working for Dave and Anil. And when I reflect back on that experience, there's really some things that stick out to me. First of all, I just love the fast pace of growth companies and the, uh, you know, all of the career opportunities that manifest themselves. In fact, in my experience at, at PeopleSoft, there were things that manifested themselves that certainly didn't seem obvious looking back on them, obvious opportunities that would pop up. 
But again, that's the benefit of a growth company. They're very fluid and great opportunities manifest themselves for great people. And, uh, you know, the other thing that, that I really like about growth companies is the sense of satisfaction that you can really make an impact uh, every day at work. So a lot of people, I think, who, you know, out of college go to work, you know, for consulting firms or big, big tech companies, I think a lot of them have sort of that desire that, hey, I want to go run my own shop someday. But what what sort of led you to being able to make that leap? Well, you know, I, I think it, it goes back to, to just some of my DNA and some of the things that I really liked about being an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, there's there's two things that I would, would reference that uh, you know, really continue to drive me today and running running Plex. And the first is, as I mentioned earlier, the sense of accomplishment. I mean, there is literally not a day that goes by in a year where I can't get up, and I'm talking 365 days out of the year, where I can't get up and do something that has a tangible impact on our company. And I really enjoy that crisp line of sight between hard work and tangible results. And the other thing that's... Um, just been very exciting for me, particularly now as a CEO running a company, is having the opportunity to give that opportunity uh, to a team and building out a team and empowering them uh, to do their job and seeing their sense of satisfaction from the hard work. Uh, and again, the, the tangible results is is frankly inspiring as a leader. So a lot of my listeners are solopreneurs, but a lot of them have the desire to be leading something that's bigger. And so you talk about being the CEO and, and being there with a team and being able to empower them. But going from being employee to the leader of a team, my experience is that's not necessarily always easy. What are, what are some of the things that you've discovered now that you're CEO? Well, you know, I, I, I think the the biggest transition, and people warn you about this, um, but but I don't think you fully understand it until you're in the seat, is you go from being an employee in a company or a manager in a company or even a member of the executive team, and there's you know, a well-defined um, chain of command in a company, and you've got a set of goals and a leader that you report to and a pretty clear path on you know what, what it takes to be successful in the company. Um, when you ascend to the CEO position, you no longer have that benefit of, of you know, reporting to one person in a, a more clear set of goals and objectives. In my case, I have seven bosses that I report to, our board of directors, and uh, it's a great board. I'm very fortunate to work with them. Um, but I think you know, that's been one of the biggest learning experiences for me, having seven, seven different bosses, some of which are, are uh, investors in the company, our financial sponsors, some of which are um, outside directors that have very diverse sets of experiences and very strong opinions on how the business should be run. And uh, synthesizing all of those personalities and feedback and, uh, and managing that has is, is probably been, for me, one of the biggest, uh, you know, biggest learning experiences. And again, as I said, it's something every CEO is warned about, but until you actually get in the seat and uh, experience that, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine. Well, and I think that translates to all size businesses because I'm a solopreneur. I mean, in addition to this podcast, I make most of my living as a professional master of ceremonies and, and keynote speaker for corporate events and association events. And I used to work as the marketing director for a big law firm and then a bank and then a consulting firm. And you're right. When you have the one boss that you get to report to, you know, you kind of have it very clear what, what you're supposed to do every day. But yep. I don't have a board of directors, but even just working for myself, you know, I wake up in the morning and boy, there's a lot of different, you know, 
people I have to answer to, be it just my family or the you know wide variety of people who plan corporate meetings that, that I serve. Everybody is my boss, it seems like. And then when I'm – the days I'm speaking or that I'm doing executive coaching, each of those people in the audience or each client – is my boss. So I think you're right. No, you hear about that. And I guess on a philosophical level, I always understood that it was going to be different. But I kind of agree with what you're saying, because for me, that was the biggest lesson was it's not as clear cut day to day. Yeah, great point. And it's interesting to, to hear your viewpoint on how it applies to your world. Yeah. So you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, but now that you've been doing this for a while, what do you absolutely love about being the CEO of a company like Plex? Well, yeah, as, as I said earlier, um, you know, I just I enjoy getting up every day. I mean, there is literally not a day that goes by in the year where I don't think about Plex and uh, and I don't think about how to make our company better, our customers more successful or, or building out our team. And, uh, you know, I think it's because I'm so passionate about the company and what we do. You know, it doesn't even feel like a burden getting up and, and thinking about Plex, even when I'm I'm on vacation. And, uh, you know, as I said, it's just it's it's really fun to be able to be in a position in a high growth company where you really can uh, you feel empowered about thinking about the company every day and uh, and the actions that you take every day have very tangible results. So, but Jason, there's got to be those days. Come on, we all have them. There has to be those days where you wake up and think, I could still be working for somebody else and just going through the motions and that would be way better today. Do you ever have days like that? Yeah, maybe occasionally. And uh, I guess, you know, as you said in the introduction and in my background, I've worked for very large companies and, and smaller high growth companies. And I, I have to say, you know, there aren't many days where I get up and yearn for the large company. I suppose you do give up some of the, the fringe benefits and the trappings uh, that come with a large company to work in a, a smaller company. But, you know, for the most part, I would take that trade off just about any day. So if someone's listening to the show and they're working for that big company and they're, they're listening to you who is, you know, leading a high growth company or someone like me who's a solopreneur who's out, you know, fighting the fight by themselves every day and, and they have that pang inside them thinking, I want to go do that. I'm, I'm entrepreneurial. I, I want to go be an entrepreneur or a solopreneur. What advice do you have for someone who wants to make a transition? Well, first and foremost, I would I would definitely leverage your network to talk to people who've made that that transition. I you know, living in the Bay Area, I do see a lot of people who are in large companies and, and want to chase that dream of starting a company or joining a small company. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not for everyone. So I, I think people really need to, to go into a, a smaller company, eyes wide open, and, uh, and understand, you know, there's just a different level of infrastructure. And, uh, and you got to be comfortable that you're, you're ready to work in that environment. But assuming you get over that, that, uh, that hurdle and you do decide to, to take the plunge, so to speak, you know, the one bit of advice I would say is take calculated risks early. And I think taking risk drives uh, more binary outcomes, or at least it forces you to take a, a position uh, or take a decision and move in a definitive direction. And, you know, people say you learn a lot from failures, which I think is true. But also in my experience, you learn a lot from huge success 
And you know, success nor failure happens without taking some risks and taking a definitive position. So, wow, that's actually I I like that that you can learn from failure or success, but that you're not going to have either unless you take those risks. That's that's actually really good advice. But you you sort of gave three pieces of advice in that. So I'm going to push you a little bit on each one of them. So your first one was leverage your network. So let's talk a little bit about that because we hear a lot about networking, and I've I've written like six books on the topic, so I know a little bit about it, but to this day, I find it fascinating that people really don't understand what leverage your network really means. So let's go a little deeper. What, what does that advice mean, leverage your network? Well, it, you know, the, the great thing, one of the great things about the high tech culture is customer, or excuse me, uh, professionals are very willing to uh, network with each other, grab a cup of coffee, have lunch, uh, grab a, a drink after work and share experiences. You know, of course, that may not hold true if, if you're uh, at two companies that are fierce competitors, but part of what makes the technology culture, particularly in the Bay Area, uh, so vibrant is, again, that willingness to connect with people, share experiences, share your successes, share what you've learned from, uh, from failures. And I think it is, I think it is unique to our, uh, to our industry. And, you know, of course, um, you know, as we've as we've grown as a tech industry, there's also now a lot of tools that kind of help proliferate networking sites like LinkedIn and so forth. Uh, And I think those type of technologies have have really, frankly, supercharged that desire that technologists have always had to connect and share their experiences and, and make the whole industry better. Well, and you're right on that people are willing to network. And I think it's actually true in every industry and even amongst competitors. I mean, I find people, I'm a big believer that whatever you do, you should be involved in, in some sort of a trade association. And I get a lot of pushback from people who say, oh, I don't want to be around my competitors. I learn more from my competitors who become my friends than you know I ever could from other people. So sometimes you know I think that everybody's willing to kind of network with you because you never know when companies are going to merge or when you need a new job. So sometimes even your competitors are really good people to know. But a lot of times people overthink the networking. And I think you kind of touched on that, that, you know, people think, well, you know, what do I really bring to the table? I I have a new coaching client and I was encouraging him to go to some of these events in his industry. And he said, yeah, but I'm a sales guy. These technologists don't want a bunch of sales guys around there. And I said, well, if you think they do or you think they don't, to sort of paraphrase paraphrase, uh, Henry Ford, you're right. You know, if you think they don't want a bunch of salespeople around, then they, then they're not. But if you think, hey, I'm a yeah, I'm a sales guy, but I'm a smart guy who knows this industry, you're going to find that they're going to let you into the club. Well, it's a great point, and whether you know you're a sales guy or any professional, engaging in networking, going to an event, events like you just referenced, really forces you to step back and think about you know what value can I add. Uh, what value can I add to these discussions? And I think it forces you to be a little more introspective. So the second point that you brought up was realize, and and you talked about this a little bit in your own path, realize that going from a big company and sort of all the perks and trappings, it's different in a startup or in a growth-oriented company. Let's talk a little bit more about those differences. Well, you know, I think at a a big company, you're used to having – established functions like IT, where the IT infrastructure works, could be your computer, could be the corporate systems you use. Um, you know, you're probably used to having mature uh, comp and benefits plans and, and perhaps richer comp and benefit plans. And at smaller startup companies where all of your discretionary resources are focused most likely on building the best product that you can particular that you can build in your space. And acquiring customers, it's it's certainly a, a trade-off that you make in those early years on how corporate resources are deployed. And, uh, you know, I think that just having watched 
company, or excuse me, employees come from bigger companies into smaller companies struggling with that lack of corporate infrastructure and frankly some of the uh, uncertainty that that, that introduces. Um, you know, it's it's not for everyone. Yeah, no, that that that's right. I I, I know firsthand it's not for everyone. Some, <laughs> sometimes I wondered if it was for me to make that leap. However, the last point you made I think was one of the strongest, and that was about risk. So I want to shift it a little bit because as a CEO, you manage a bunch of people, and from my interviews I've done with CEOs, they want their people to take risks, and yet when I talk to employees, they're scared to take risks. So why does that valley between what the CEO really wants from their employees to, to be willing to push the envelope and try new things, why is it that employees often feel they're not allowed to take risks? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I do think there is a bit of a, a tone from the top, um, from the CEO and the executive team uh, that's important there and supports in creating an environment where employees feel comfortable taking a risk. Because I think, you know, fundamentally, whether, frankly, whether you're the CEO or whether, you know, you're an employee in the company, you know, you are, you do have a strong sense of uh, self-survival, of preservation. And so if, if employees feel like they make a mistake or, or uh, promote something that doesn't work out, if they feel like they're going to lose their job, if they feel like there's going to be, you know, really negative ramifications associated with it, you know, they're not going to do it. Or I think that's what, what leads to some of the angst that you're referring to. And I think from the CEO level, from the executive level, management leadership level in a company, you've got to foster an environment where it is okay to make a mistake, where it is okay to put forth an idea that fails. And, uh, you know, as the old cliche in tech goes, at least fail fast and move on. But also, you know, don't have uh, failure be dealt with punitively uh, in the company in the company either so is this a conversation that employees can initiate up the chain to talk about is it okay to take these types of risk absolutely absolutely I mean I think that is one of the things about our culture if you were to, to speak with our employees you know as we've grown we certainly have more more uh, levels in the company but we also strive to really keep uh, very high levels of transparency throughout the company on our strategy and what we're doing as well as uh, not get hierarchical in terms of who can talk to who and who can introduce new ideas uh, and solve problems in new creative ways. So, Jason, this is fantastic information, and I've got several more questions for you. But before we get there, I've got to thank my sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Jason Blessing. For an exclusive offer to the listeners of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, go and visit their website at podfly.net slash cool things. So Jason, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is something that your business is doing right now that you think is cool? Well, I'll actually give you two examples. One is is uh, a more strategic thing that we're doing in the business, and the second is more policy-oriented, but they're both related. So from a strategic aspect, we have a, a very detailed three-year strategy that outlines everything about our belief around our company, everything from the markets that we want to serve to how we build those products, how we sell into those uh, markets, all the way down to detailed financial uh, ex uh, expectations about our performance. 
And I think historically companies have really thought about that as, you know, the nuclear football and it's only to be viewed by the board and the CEO and, a, 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 you know, a select club of, of executives. Um, but for us, that strategy is an absolute open book with our employees. It is summarized on our employee community. And then we review detailed progress on our strategy every quarter uh, in person with the team. And again, when you talk to our employees and say, what's cool about Plex, they refer to the transparency and the, the connection uh, that they have into the company because of this transparency around everything, in, including um, our, our strategy. The second thing we're doing, um, and again, it's, it's somewhat related to this overall philosophy of transparency and trust is we've adopted um, an unlimited time off policy, um, which we actually call a responsible time off uh, policy at the company. And if you think about it, we trust our employees with uh, all of the details of the strategy, as I just mentioned. And then we also empower them to make decisions on behalf of the company every day. Uh, many of those decisions have material financial implications on our business. So I've always felt that it, it, it's in conflict if we micromanage their time. I frankly says, think it says we don't trust you. Um, so we threw that old policy out the window and, as I said, have adopted this responsible time off policy. And uh, first and foremost, it's been incredibly well received to the, by the employees because it says, hey, we really do trust you to figure out how to get your work done uh, and, and not micromanage you on that front. And the other thing, uh, before we adopted this policy, people said, well, you know, there's going to be all kinds of people who abuse this. And, uh, you know, that couldn't be farther from the truth. We haven't yet had one example of a bad apple abusing the policy. And I think because people value this transparency and trust so much, it almost becomes self-policing within, uh, you know, the team. People just refuse to let colleagues abuse these kind of policies and freedoms that we've put in their hands. Well, and I've heard from some other CEOs and, and executives who've implemented similar type policies. And to a T, they've all had zero or very, very few problems with people sort of over overdoing their time off. And I think it comes back to what my own experience was. I worked for some large organizations and even some smaller ones where I felt really micromanaged. And as a guy who had an entrepreneurial drive and a streak and a desire, that is what drove me out of corporate America. I was tired of, you know, them wanting to be able to access me by my BlackBerry, you know, at 11 o'clock at night. But if I showed up at 930 because I had to take my kid to a doctor's appointment, all of a sudden I was some sort of a pariah. And so yeah. I think companies that say, look, you know, we're going to, you know, let you run this like it's your own business. I, I worked for a law firm that uh, my sort of philosophy as their director of marketing was I pretended like I was an outside vendor. And on my one-year anniversary, I, I worked at two different firms, but for the same lawyers for four years. Every year on my anniversary of hire, I would go into each of the partners and I would ask, if I was an outside vendor, would you renew my contract for another year? And one of the partners used to laugh and he said, Tom, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. You know you're doing a good job or you wouldn't ask that. But the reality was, is that was my way of showing them I ran my department like it was my own business. And yep. that was the job I think I enjoyed the most when I worked in corporate America because they gave me a lot of rope and I never hung myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great, great point. And again, I, you know, I go back to the point I made earlier about how it's, it's rewarding to work at a growth company, a small growth company, because you can make these decisions that frankly smash the status quo of how big companies have always done things. 
and uh, you know, frankly, experiment a little bit. Again, take some risks, and uh, it's just rewarding to be able to do some of these creative things, even at a policy level, and um, and and see you know how empowering they can be. So, Jason, we could talk about your career and about Plex all day long, but I think the best entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So, I love to ask the guests on the show. Who is someone else you see outside of your company that you think, wow, they're doing something cool? Yeah, well, living here in the Bay Area, there's certainly no shortage of great role models <laughs> and people who are innovative in how they build and, and run their companies. Uh, but one person who's really stuck out to me over the last few years is Jeff Weiner, who's the uh, CEO of LinkedIn. And again, he's been very focused externally talking about how, uh, how the importance of transparency and empowerment um, inside of LinkedIn. And some of the things that we've talked about on this call, I have frankly modeled some of my thinking, learning from Jeff and hearing him speak at a couple of industry events. And uh, one thing that that I'll I'll never forget is hearing Jeff talk about their company meetings. They actually have uh, weekly company meetings that are just kind of quick stand-up meetings to keep everybody aligned on what's going on inside of another growing, thriving company. And uh, they actually have a saying that says, what happens at a company meeting stays in a company meeting. And again, I think it's a great example um, of what can happen when you treat employees like adults. They've built a, a great company. And, uh, and their employees and their culture are a key foundation, a keystone in that foundation. In addition to being great observers, I also think that great entrepreneurs want to do more than just make money. And so I love to ask my guests, what is it that you do to give back beyond just earning money for Plex? Yeah, well, I think, I think giving back comes in many ways. And so for us as a company, it's important to us to be a benevolent company in the communities in which we operate. So we actually have a, a team inside of our company called Plex Giving that each year picks a charity and we donate corporate resources, so both volunteering time as well as financial resources uh, to, to help fund that cause. And that causes, those causes have been a, a wide variety uh, over the, the last several years. Uh, and then from an individual perspective, right now where I'm focused is spending more of my time giving back to the University of Michigan entrepreneurial ecosystem. That's where I went to college. And, and as I reflect back on my own uh, career, that was you know certainly a seminal moment, the experiences I gained at the University of Michigan and how they've created to my own success. So I'm spending time with the university on a wide variety of things, everything from advising on their entrepreneurial curriculum Uh, to speaking at student events. I'm speaking at an event, in fact, in early October uh, around homecoming on uh, my entrepreneurial experience. And then I also spend some time coaching entrepreneurs on their business plans and helping them refine their thinking uh, as they embark on building great companies. And that is so awesome. And and I have those who listen to the show know that this last couple weeks, I launched my oldest child off to college into a business program. She's at the Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon. And it's the alumni like yourself from that school who come back and give so much. I mean, they have wonderful professors, but it's people like you from that school and what you're doing at Michigan who really make a difference to these students. And so when I hear that people are going back to their alma maters and, and really sort of opening up the kimono to you know what I, what I know now, I wish I knew then, I think it's so valuable. And my daughter is so excited about the education that she's about to get. Uh, congratulations. That's a great, great opportunity in front of her. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, she's one of these kids who knew she wanted to be a business major and then go get an MBA like in the fourth grade. And, you know, other kids were reading like 17 magazine and she was reading entrepreneur. So, you know, she, she is living the dream getting to go to a school 
like that. Uh, and actually, a little sideline, uh, Jason, you are actually the first guest to be interviewed for Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do since I have taken over her bedroom as my new podcast studio. So this is the first episode from the new podcast studio that is actually Jackie's old bedroom. It's an important day. That, that, that's exactly right. But again, I, you know, you bring up what you do with Plex Giving and how you get the whole team involved and, and the company gives back. Even for small companies, I think that is so important. When I started my career as a speaker, I found a cause and I give a small percentage of my speaking fees when I, when I speak to corporations and associations directly to two funds at Children's Hospital of Austin, where I live, and Children's Hospital of San Diego, where my youngest daughter was operated on as a kid to the doctors who are doing research for cranial facial abnormalities. And we don't give a lot. I'm not one of these celebrity speakers who gets like $30,000 a speech. You know, it's it's little checks. It's a couple of hundred dollars here and a hundred dollars there and $400, you know, another time. But over eight years, it's added up to, I think, between the two hospitals, it's over $50,000. So the little things that your team is doing over the lifetime of your company becomes a phenomenal amount of money. And I always try to go out and encourage entrepreneurs to start early and give small, but give consistently. I call it compounded generosity because we hear a lot about compounded interest. And if you go back to when you're 20 and start saving, you know, the interest will add up that you'll retire rich. Of course, none of us do it. But the idea is, is if you start early, it adds up. The same thing is true with your giving. A lot of people think, well, I've got to wait till we're Microsoft for my company to go and give. Well, you may never be one of the largest companies. And when you get there, you won't have the culture of giving that you've clearly instilled early on at Plex. Yeah, those are all great points. So, Jason, it has been an honor to have you here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I want to thank you for coming on the show. If somebody was listening and they think, I got to know more about Plex, I got I to know more about Jason Blessing, how do they find the company and how do they find you? Well, first, let me say, Tom, thanks for having me. It was uh, an absolute privilege to be here with you today. If you want to learn more about our company, you can visit our website at plex.com. Uh, if you want to know more about what I'm doing in the professional world, there's two ways to connect with me. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason underscore Blessing uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much. It's, it's entrepreneurs like you who come on the show and just share from the heart of what they did and how they did it that inspires my audience. And I get so many tweets and emails from people. And I never know which episode it's going to be who say, thank you for bringing Jason on the show. I needed to hear him that day. I was on the treadmill or I was driving to work and he said something that really resonated. So I'm sure that your sharing really touched somebody today. So again, thank you for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Tom. Thank you. And to those of you who listened, we wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for you. So be back in a couple of days because we're going to have another interview with somebody just as cool as Jason. Well, that might be hard, but we'll try. We'll have another interview with somebody, some entrepreneur who's doing cool things. But in the meantime, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.